This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace. Squarespace recently launched the latest version of their platform, Squarespace 7, which has a completely redesigned interface, integrations with Getty Images and Google Apps, 15 new templates, and an incredible feature called Cover Pages. Try the new Squarespace with a free trial at squarespace.com and enter offer code RIOT at checkout to get 10% off. Squarespace. Start here. Go anywhere. This is the Book Riot Podcast, a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. This is episode 133. We're recording on Thursday, November 19th, 2015. I'm Rebecca Shinsky here with Jeff O'Neill, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Well, next week is Thanksgiving. Can you believe this? I, I cannot. It just sort of snuck a... I, we were all geared up for Book Riot Live, and once we hit that, now I feel like we're just sort of in a free just, fall till January 1st. We are. We're. I think we're lucky we get to sort of slow down at the end of the year. So many of my friends in book-related spaces oh, yeah. are, you know, gearing up for holiday craziness. The retailers, and, yeah. Right. And, you know, people who run online businesses, and it's just interesting to be slowing down. Bob mm-hmm. and I were talking the other night, and I was like, hey, you know, I took next Friday off the day after Thanksgiving. Maybe we can go hiking or something. And he was like, Thanksgiving's not next week. <laughs> Like, oh, oh contraire, oh, my Bob. friend. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's coming up. So I, it's speaking of, um, we're going to do our holiday book recommendation show again this year. So if you have book recommendation requests for yourself, for someone you're buying for, just in general, anything um, yeah. that's that's a book request related, um, get those to us at podcast at bookriot.com. I should also mention that if you like book recommendations, you should check out uh, our, our, our sister sibling podcast, uh, Get Booked, that is hosted by our, our good friend and sometimes co-host Amanda Nelson. It runs every other week. She has a guest on for each show um, where they do themed book recommendations. So you can get specific recommendations over there ongoing. But if you want from us, do a big omnibus request show. Also, it should be saying, and I'll, I'll try to remember to put these in the show notes, we've done this the last couple of years, and those are still good, right? They're, yeah, they're not yeah. news related, so you could go back and look at those. Uh, and You can look at the posts, but also listen to the shows if you're looking for some holiday gift requests. Yes. It's, a, it's, a, it's going to be an interesting year for for books at the at the holiday season, we've seen some softening mm-hmm. um, on ebooks, um, but independent bookstores have been doing relatively well. Barnes and Noble is doing a little bit better, um, and this is the time of year where books really start flying off the shelves. And I will be really fascinated to hear, especially from the independent booksellers, like were they at expectation, below expectation, where where they're rolling along here? If this narrative that seems to be forming of a return. I don't know if it's a return to print so much as a retreat from ebook. You know, like I'm not sure which, how you is it a push me or a pull you sort of thing? Are people getting turned off ebooks or they're going back to print, or is the allure of print sufficient to woo people away yeah, from the, digital? The ebook pricing is going up. I got an yeah. email the other day about an ebook deal, and the deal price was seven ninety nine. No, that's it's unacceptable. Like, that does not a deal make. You know, I, I don't know if I, I've mentioned it here a couple times, but uh, while we're thinking of deals, I do do a daily ish. Ebook news deal newsletter from for Book Riot, um, and you know I do I pick one a day. If there's nothing good, I don't send you something. So I'm not you know I I think it's better than some of those ebook deal newsletters where they they have to pump something out every day, so they they just pick whatever. But if I don't find anything I think is interesting, um, then I don't send one. Also, they're not paid placements, so I, no one's paying me to pick their book for the deal of the day. Sometimes there's a sponsor at the top that's clearly labeled, but the pick is uh, fresh, wild gathered, um, unadulterated. Jeffness, um, which sounds like a show title a little bit uh-huh. now that it comes out of my mouth. Um, that also <laughs> sounds like a show title. Um, so that you can go to bookriot.com slash deals, I think. Yeah, deals. And you can find the, you know, some of the deals are still good, but also you can find in any of those posts a sign up form there as well. Also, if you're, if you are thinking about some holiday book shopping, you should check out our store, store.bookriot.com, all sorts of bookish t-shirts and tote bags and gifts for you the or the book lover. hoodies. Yes, and, and socks and leggings and a book right, not just book right related stuff, but like 
Great Gatsby totes and, you know, um, Jane Austen stuff and a whole bunch of great stuff for book lovers there. Um, that's store.bookriot.com. Okay. So the big news this week is the National Book Award. Um, we had people there. Liberty Liberty was there last night at Liberty Chip, was Cipriani there last night. at Wall Street. And uh, Rachel Manuel. Rachel Manuel was there last night. Um I guess I care. I mean, I care about this. Uh, not in a. Re- it's probably I, I. I. In my interest order, I go Nobel, Pulitzer, no Nobel Man Booker, mm. Pulitzer National Book Award. Oh, this is, the National Book Award is an autoplay audio. I just opened it up and it's playing yeah, stuff to me. Yeah, it's terrible. I had to. Oh I had my to goodness! Mute the video. There was a live stream last night. Of by the way, Andy Borowitz hosting, and it was not funny oh it wasn't i didn't no. even think about oh this was last Super. this was last time the daniel handler thing happened i'm just now remembering yes, that right yeah last year the daniel handler thing happened this year andy borowitz hosted and i don't think he did anything wrong it just like what from what i've seen of the live stream and then from what i caught up with online this morning because as we're recording the awards were just last night it just be, kind of bad idea committee dude, they went back to the well just, with another white guy i mean yeah, after now i mean come on oh. just i i saw a petition on twitter last night i think it was maris kreisman suggesting that carrie brownstein should host next year i would second that emotion i haven't um, seen her i'm sure she's great i just i don't know the uh, about her, really. Uh, really interesting i'm interested in the national book award this year it never seems to go to the book i yeah. think it's going to go to right. uh last year it went to redeployment by phil clay which was a collection of short stories that i really loved but just kind of a surprise among Mm -hmm. the field this year the fiction finalists were uh, refund short stories by karen e bender the turner house by angela flournoy which we both really loved um fates and furies by lauren groff another book i loved a little life by hanya yanagahara another book Mm -hmm. that i loved and then fortune smiles by adam johnson a collection of short stories um johnson won the pulitzer in 2012 for the the orphan Orphan master's son Um, don't sleep on adam johnson i guess is the lesson yeah i had done some speculating that he would not get this award because maybe the National Book Award Committee wanted to acknowledge someone else. Uh, but he did for a collection and of short, short stories. stories. So it's two years in a row. Short have you read stories. This? I haven't have read one. This. I have not. Liberty really loved it. I remember um, she talked about it on all the books the week that it came out. Um, I have not. For some reason, the blurbs on his books just never ring mm-hmm. my bells. The Orphan Master's uh, Son is awesome. It, it, yeah. it is really awesome. This one, again, I think I've said on the show, short story collections, I'm not averse to them, but uh, they're going to be down my particular pecking order when it comes to it. Coates, Tony Essie Coates, one yep. for Between the World and Me, uh, by far, I think, the, the heavy, heavy favorite there. Yeah, it would have been a surprise for anyone um, else to win that, Voyage I think. of the Sable Venus by Robin Coat Lewis, one for poetry. Mm-hmm. And then Challenger Deep by Neil Schusterman, one for young adult or children's, right? I don't remember exactly how they, but you get the oh, idea. It's like literature it. for young people. Yeah, well, whatever. Okay, get over <laughs> yourself. Uh, so... Um, two people of color, interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and Adam Johnson, I think he identified, he has like Native American heritage. I, I, I couldn't be messing this up now that I think about that it's coming out. I could be confusing him with somebody else. Um, but, uh, an, a good list, an interesting list. I mean, I think both of us were expecting, um, either Fates and Furies or A Little Life to win. And mm-hmm. I had Turner House as the, you know, coming on the outside around the bend at, at, at uh, Churchill Downs. But, you know. This is what happens. Also, Angela Flournoy was our guest at my guest on the live recording of uh, Reading Lives at Book Riot Live, and that show is also now available if you go to bookriot.com slash reading lives. We had a good time. I missed the live recording. I was really happy to get to listen to it. So um, Flournoy's uh, magical season does not end with a National Book Award, but still. But with you. Yeah, that's right. The highlight (laughs) turned out to be uh, talking to me for 45 minutes. It ends not with a whimper, but with unadulterated Jeff. But with a Jeff, yeah. Um, So (laughs) we got to get to our first sponsor. we got to get to our first sponsor. Who is our first sponsor? Tell me about it. We've got Penguin Random House Audio back this week. Uh, As we go into the holidays, especially the end of the year, you're busy, I'm busy, everyone is Oh, you're traveling. Busy, yes. Well, I'm not. I am staying home for the next three months, which is amazing. I'm not going out until 2020. Maybe I'll go to the Olympics <laughs> in 2020. I'm going out. Uh, the campaign for me to move to Portland mm-hmm. will just have to ramp up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so if you are busy, especially if you are committed to a book club, you might find yourself 
straggling. I, for one, could never read the book club books on time. I'm the world's worst book club participant. Audiobooks might have saved me for that if I had discovered them soon enough. Now I just don't join book clubs. Uh, but Penguin Random House Audio wants you to know that in addition to being a great excuse to get together with your friends, um, you can you know have your book club and use your audiobook time to provide another dimension to the conversation. So you can use audiobooks in your interstitial time in your life. We've talked about that forever and ever. You know, listen while you're washing the dishes, listen while you're getting the kids to school, listen while you're playing a video game or while you're watching sports or while your partner is watching sports, whatever. There are a million different ways to incorporate audiobooks into your daily life. And if you're in a book club and you listen to the audiobook, you have an additional dimension to the conversation because you can talk about what it was like hearing the different characters you know, speak to each other or what the audio recording added to the experience of getting that story into your brain. Uh, if you want to give audiobooks a try for your book club, go to penguinrandomhouseaudio.com slash book club. They'll give you some title suggestions and some other advice to get you going. Um, they're also running giveaways every month. And for November, the theme is holiday travel. Um, so they will suggest great audiobooks that will make the miles fly by. Um, things like Hunger Makes Me a Modern Girl by Carrie Brownstein, which is a really fantastic memoir. I really liked it a lot. Um, City on Fire by Garth Riss Kahlberg, which is one of the year's big debut novel, big debut novels, big in that they paid a bajillion dollars for it. And also in that it's like a thousand pages long. So audio is a great way to go. Um, Armada by Ernest Cline or The Bassoon King. Have you heard of that one? I don't know what that one is. It's um, uh, it's uh, what's his name? Uh, Dwight Schrute from The Office's Rain uh, Wilson. Yeah, Rain Wilson. I was going to say Rain Johnson. But he's the director directing Star Wars Episode Eight. That you know where my brain is right now is we're T minus um, uh, twenty nine days till uh, Episode Seven. So lots of great options for audiobooks. You can check out tryaudiobooks.com for the recommendations and to check out the giveaways of holiday travel books. In December, it'll be some of the best of twenty fifteen uh, that you can enter to win. Uh, or again, penguinrandomhouseaudio.com slash book club for title suggestions and advice to get you going. Um, do you have any, or have you listened lately to any Penguin Random House? Uh, well, I, th I think I said the Sarah Vowell was the last one I finished and I'm, oh, st right. I'm starting, I'm starting, I, I can't decide which one to pick next. What would you do? I've, this is my first, uh, the uh, wordy shipmates, and I'm trying to decide mm -hmm. whether to go to the Lafayette or Assassination Vacation or oh. uh, the other, do you have a, do you have, what I, would you suggest? Well, I liked I liked Assassination Vacation a lot, but I really liked The Partly Cloudy Patriot. Oh, yes. Okay. Which is essays on like patriotism and American identity. And she has a bunch of guest stars. God, she's good at titles. The it. titles are she, great. She is really good at titles. I just downloaded the Lafayette one. Okay. Um, but I am currently listening to Troublemaker by Leah Remini. Mm. Or Remini. She um, you know, was this, one of the stars of The King of Queens. She's an actress, but probably more famously uh, just left Scientology. Yeah. And this is her big tell-all memoir about Hollywood and Scientology. Gotta say, this created a buzz on the book right back. It did. There was That's a lot. Of, there was a lot of. There was a lot of talk. It's already like you know, obscure culty religion is already in my wheelhouse. Uh -huh. um, but a, a bunch of our contributors loved it and said that it was you know really gave them light into the appeal of Scientology and that she sort of you know opens the kimono about that experience. So um, I've just I'm early in the audiobook, but I'm enjoying it so far. Um, and it, that would make it. It's from Ballantine, which is a Penguin uh, Random House imprint, and it would make for a fascinating book club discussion yeah, if your book club does memoirs. Super interesting. Okay, um, let's move along. Thank you so much to Penguin Random House yeah. Audio for sponsoring this and many other episodes of our show and our and our other shows of Book Riot. Okay, Guardian First Book Award. I like these awards too. I uh, do too. Uh, you know, we're trying to figure out, you know, what to give some uh, some 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 love to people who have their first book out that maybe don't have the clout quite yet to uh, mm -hmm. compete for the National Book Award. I guess Fornoy would be the exception, but. Um, a couple books I have heard of on this list. I read the Chigozi Obioma's oh, The Fisherman. So it's so good. Also, one of my favorites of the year. I, and this can be uh, a tipping point for some people. It's pretty short. You know, mm -hmm. you can get through it. It's not a huge one as opposed to like A Little Life, which is a pretty st a stout yeah. book, for example. So if, if that's something around the holiday times, you're looking for something to read, that like something that you can get through in a in a couple seats. I mean, depending uh, the, on your the reading. The writing stuff. is so oh, God, lovely. It's, it's so a good. super the interesting guy. Great. I got to get that guy yeah. on reading lives. I have him on my yes. list to try to get him on there. Uh, let's see. Any other, what what else is on here that, anything else or that before we just do the list that you, you noticed or see. heard of or done anything more about? I am intrigued by the title, Nothing is True and Everything is Possible mm. by Peter Pomerantsev. Interesting. Um, and, but I don't know anything about it. I just find that to be a very intriguing 
title. And then there's Max Porter's Grief is the Thing with Feathers, which is a story about two young children after the sudden loss of a parent. And that's a twist um, on the Dickinson but, poem, uh, Hope is yeah, a Thing with Feathers. Right. Yeah. Um, which we like very memorably did a close reading of at a at some event together. Oh, yeah. That's one of my go-to. <laughs> no, at um, the, our, 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 alternative the book blo- yeah. our alternative book blogger con a couple years ago, I busted out my... Uh, Close reading shtick with Prof- I think that might have been my first experience with Professor Jeff in oh, real life. Yeah. It was fun. It's my alter uh, ego. It says here that grief is the thing with feathers is also a love letter to reading, to moving unfaithfully and restlessly between forms and enjoying the sharp, shocking, or seductive transitions. So that is very interesting to me. I'm intrigued by that. Um, Anything on the list that's uh, popping out? Poetry Physical by Andrew McMillan is on here. Mm. Um, that's interesting. The Shore... By Sarah Taylor. I have seen buzz about the show. It looks from like a this is a memoir. Uh, no, I guess no, it's a novel. No, it's a novel, but it's a set on this particular eastern stretch shore of, of, oh, of Virginia. eastern shore of Virginia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'll be watching this award. Closely. Yeah, interesting it's really to interesting. see. A lot of books is, that we haven't heard of necessarily, which is why I guess we're interested in talking about it right now. Yeah, I like that it's kind of an apples to oranges to bananas to pears yes, award. Yes. Like it's not all the novels against each other. Um, and Kirkus does like the first novel prize, and there are a bunch of debut novel awards. But it's interesting to me to see a bunch of first books in a bunch of different genres um, by writers from so many different kinds of experiences getting. I don't. I don't know even how you decide in that case what wins, but it's a fascinating list. Yeah, it's it's a really interesting list. Um, you know, we cover genre stuff when it burbles up into like mainstream book world news, and this is one that definitely did. Last year, I think it really came to a boiling point with the science fantasy and fiction book awards. Mm-hmm. They their 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 trophy is of H.P. Lovecraft, um, who by I don't think anyone with any sort of reasonable position would say is anything other than a terrible racist, hugely mm-hmm. influential writer in the science fiction and fantasy community, no doubt about that. Um, but uh, Nettie Okorafor and Daniel Jose Older, among others, really were like, you know what, the time has come for us to, to, to change this. It doesn't need to be this guy. There's a lot of other choices if we want to have a particular person or why do we even need to be a particular person. But um, finally, the board decided, uh, Ellen Kushner tweeted a couple weeks ago, um, while, while we're at Book Riot Live, I guess it's right. went yeah, down. The awards were on November 8th. Um, oh, well, actually, Hartwell announced and Ellen Kushner tweeted it that the last year the World Fantasy Award will be the H.P. Lovecraft statue. So um, clicktivism gone amok again, Rebecca. Right. I mean, no one ever does anything online. Uh, nope. Older, largely through Twitter, collected over 2,500 signatures on a petition calling for the replacement of avowed racist and terrible wordsmith burn. <laughs> um, so I don't, I don't think they've said... They have not said what will be replacing... Yeah. The Lovecraft statue, or if they'll be renaming it. I know that there has been a push to um, to rename it to the Olivia Butler Award, mm-hmm. um, but there have been there's no news about that. Um, but a, a huge progress that it won't be Lovecraft, and a, an important acknowledgement from the World Fantasy Awards that uh, that you know there has been a history of honoring yeah. work by people who are uh, like avowed and proud racists, um, and that brown people have always been a part of fantasy, um, an important part of the fantasy writing community. And to acknowledge um, that this change is important for everyone uh, is huge and really important. Bravo to uh, Daniel Jose Older and Nettie Okorafor. Yeah, yeah, we like both of them. We They're do. Uh, all, yeah. Uh, yeah. Disclaimer. They are cool. We like them even more now. Um, yeah. You know, it seems, I don't know why this has to be a particular person. Like, just make it a statue and it can be an empty signifier of awesome. Um, sure. Can't it just be like a planet? Yeah, exactly. Or whatever, <laughs> a sword and a planet. A rocket. Yeah. You a jetpack and a laser um, yeah. and a dragon. Oh, I think I'm in. I'm going to write some of that now. Um, here, stat news. Uh, you know, look, I have my opinions on the way ebooks and print books are covered covered uh, in you know the, the media that cares about it. It's not like it's a huge story out there. But the thing that always surprises me is that when we talk about you know ebook share of traditional publishing and the big five publishers, the, the thing that gets left out of those discussions most of the time is self-pubs. Well, a couple mm-hmm. reasons for that. One is the stats are 
pretty hard to get because a lot of it's through Amazon and Amazon holds on to its um, data uh, with an iron claw, um, kind of like the one in uh, Inspector Gadget. What was that? The, the villain's name in Inspector Gadget? I think maybe it was just oh, the claw. Dr. Claw. Dr. Claw. Like Dr. Claw. Amazon <laughs> is kind of Dr. Claw a little bit. Um, but, you know, so I was like, but, but what about – Self-pub, right? Because they're like, well, right. it's, you know, at Penguin, I'm making up a stat now. Penguin Random House, ebook sales fell from 23 to 21%, a 10% drop. I'm like, okay, but what about all these other ebooks that are out there, you know, that are right. being self-pub, direct pub, things like that? Um, so according to Nielsen data, from Q1 2014 to Q1 2015, self-published books have grown from 14 to 18% of the overall market, which is a pretty big jump, especially now that we're four or five years into self-plug. It's, like, mm-hmm. it's, it's an absolute number of 4%, but a relative number of like up 30% yep. in terms of share. Um, same period, the big five share was down from 28 to 37%. Percent. So some of that, you know, big the big five is losing some of that to self-publishing. About half of their drop can be attributed um, to self-publishing. Um, mm-hmm. The large, medium, tiny publishers, the rest of the market, all the large, medium, and tiny publishers have seen their share decrease from 58 to 45%. So the only part that's growing, the people, the, the part of the pie that's taking from the other parts of the pie, because there's only one pie, they only go to 100% here, even if the aggregate market grows in, in volume, the whole percentage stays to 100%. The only one that's eating other people's parts of the pie is self-publishing. Yep. And no one's talking about that anymore. No one wants to talk about I, I don't it. know. I mean, I don't know. Why do you think this is? Like, it, what people were worried about self-publishing like a year or two ago, and now it's like we don't care? I mean, I, what's going on here, do you think? You know, I think maybe they're connected. Self-publishing is so connected to ebook because yeah. it's so much easier to self-publish ebooks that as ebook sales have dropped off maybe it's easier to ignore self-publishing like oh but print is doing fine um so we don't need to worry about ebooks and therefore it's like some weird transitive property of publishing stats uh, therefore right. we don't need to worry yeah, right. about self-publishing um but they're not without looking at the the sources of the books that people are reading. It's, you know, really interesting. If you look at the bell curve, you're supposed to have 68% of stuff in the big fat middle. Um, And currently what we would call the big fat middle of publishing all the large, medium and tiny publishers that aren't the big five and that aren't the very tiny self publishers, uh, only a 45%. So there's a, like a bulb on one end for the big five and a smaller bulb on the other end. Oh, I'm sorry. I messed this up. I just realized I'm looking at this. The big five share has not shrunk. It's risen from 28 to 37. Right. The thing that's shrunk is everybody else. So yes. the, 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 the high end, the, like as you're saying, I'm just trying to correct myself so I don't look like a complete idiot, is the big five, the, the, the super behemoth international conglomerate publishers are getting bigger and self-publishing on the other side is getting bigger and the people in the middle are getting, mm-hmm. getting pressed. So that's exactly what, what you're saying. I just want yeah, to clarify. which that it does really, I think, explain why we're not hearing so much about self-publishing because the big five feel okay. Their shares are going up. Um, right, and, yeah. And if they feel fine, they feel unthreatened by self-publishing. Plus, not for nothing, the big five have been relatively successful in using self-publishing as something of a like farm team. Well, I mean, for... you have to look no farther than Fifty Shades of Grey in The right. Martian, right? I mean, mm-hmm. those those to, to Random name House the two. benefited hugely from both of those acquisitions. So it's it's really interesting. I think eighteen percent of the overall market for self publishing, almost one out of five books. Yeah, I mean, that's what right. that is. That's, that is wild that stuff. Is, that that's a huge number. Yeah. Um, perhaps we're also hearing less about it because a number that size lends legitimacy to self publishing, mm. and self publishers then don't have to declare their legitimacy as loudly. Like yeah. there, in the early years, there was a whole lot of writing from self published people about how valid and legitimate self publishing was. But now it's just like, almost one out of every five books read or purchased are by self published authors, right. and so it's more it's more of a given, I guess. But it is kind of strange that the conversation has just dwindled yeah. about it. I guess the other thing too is that the gold rush mentality of self-publishing, especially on the writer side, has died down. Like you can make a million dollars itself. Like right. I see a lot less of that. So maybe the bloom is off the rose for those thinking that self-publishing is a a path, you know, sort of an end around to riches, sure, somehow. or like a guaranteed lottery yeah. win. So yeah. while the 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 macro trend is still increasing, some of the the sexiness of the the story about you can be self-published and get it out there and things like that has, has taken off. But the the train is moving along there. And it's interesting that they're going to get squeezed. And I don't know. I don't know if the big five should take solace or, or not that they're increasing their share. I mean, I don't know if are the medium 
tiny and large publishers endemically different from the big five so they're more susceptible to, to self-publishing and other things or is it they're next on the food truck and like yeah. self-publishing can keep steamrolling through i'm not sure um let's see they tell the ebook principle we sort of talked about it recently Pr- prices driving ebook interest also from mm-hmm. this nielsen study i thought was interesting according to the consumer survey almost 60 percent of respondents said they choose e over p ebook over print if the savings at least four dollars for the former Additionally, approximately 50% said they do the same even the book is only 2 to $3 cheaper than the print version. So, you know, I what I'm seeing, especially for paperbacks, I should say, is that ebook and that print is, especially when you're looking on Amazon where I look for deals, and so I see a lot of it that way, they are neck and neck. A, print, a, a paperback on Amazon and an ebook on Amazon are within a dollar or two of each other, generally speaking. Yeah, this piece speculates that publishers moving, you know, taking control back of the pricing through the agency model for ebooks are they're driving ebook prices up. That's why I'm getting emails about how this ebook is a deal for seven ninety nine. Yes. Um, there, this piece claims that. That's publishers inadvertently and sometimes deliberately nudging consumers back to print. I suspect it is significantly deliberate. Uh, I suspect. It's, it'd the be, margins yeah. are better on print books. You make more profit. Uh, so and- just one example, the slow regard of silent things, um, Patrick Rothfuss' sort of mm-hmm. interstitial book in the King Killer, King Killer Chronicles came out in paperback last week. So it's a good comp. It's a new book. People are interested in it. The paperback is eight twenty eight, and the Kindle version is seven ninety nine. It's it's twenty nine cents difference. Who's going to buy yeah. the Kindle version there? Only if you really want it right now, yeah. I guess. And the other or, thing or you yeah. prefer. The other thing yeah. that's in this Nielsen that I'm using it as a bridge is that only nine percent of respondents said they buy ebooks only. Everyone else buys either all print or a mix of print and digital. So that's a fascinating number. Yeah, too. and it, it does say forty nine percent of consumers say they bought both print yeah. and ebooks in the last six months. Forty two only bought print. So the people who read exclusively in one format are three times as likely to read exclusively in print mm-hmm. um, than to read exclusively in ebook. But, you know, more people than not are 49%. So not quite the majority, but the most group, the, the largest group, the most group, the most group, the most <laughs> the group, most group yeah. uh, read both. Um, that's a thing that we know to be true of Book yeah, Riot's right. community. At least we survey readers at the end of every year. So that'll be coming up for us. But we always ask about the split between print and ebook. Mm-hmm. And this last year, I incorporated audio and we we found that most of our readers are reading in multiple formats um, rather than exclusively in one. And anecdotal, anecdotally, it seems true as well. I don't think that I know anybody uh, who reads in just one format. Wait, no, we did meet. We met a couple. We met I met one, a couple people at yeah, Book Riot listeners Live. Who were yeah. exclusive audiobook readers at Book Riot Live. Mm-hmm. So it does exist, uh, but. I think that's important for us to talk about, too, the thing gets spun so often in headlines of like, print is safe, ebooks are declining, as if just having print is the best thing to serve readers. Yeah. Uh, but most are, most do both. Most do um, both. Well, not most, 49%. 49%, We're close gonna, to most. I would guess by <laughs> the next year, that's going to be 51%. We can confidently say most do both. <laughs> um, that'll. I mean, that might be a headline, uh, you know, at the point when yeah. most readers buy a combination of print and digital um, last thing here, it's, a, it's kind of a, a footnote to this study about um, book subscriptions. Uh, Amazon um, continues its chokehold on the book subscription market with 60% of um, the, the market. As we know, Oyster has gone away, and Scribd, they say Scribd is getting smaller, and they don't have numbers for that. But kind of what we've been hearing a little bit, I have to say, well, certainly with Oyster, um, that people are sort of moving away from book subscription services at least – those, I don't know if that rise from 40 to 60 is actually growing the market or just that the competitors are falling away. So the pie is smaller and you, you stay the same, but you still, you have a relatively larger amount of the remaining market. Um, so yeah, anyway, that's, that's our, that's our stat survey, uh, portion of the program. Let's go on to weird wanna, news stories. Yeah. Moose, let's mosey on down to copyright yeah. corner. Um, yeah, walk me through this. this. I've read this. I, I still sort yeah. of don't understand. Copyright law is it's a so bizarre situation. weird and fascinating. So basically what has happened is um, Otto Frank, Anne Frank's uh, father, first published her diary and notebooks. And when he did, he wrote a prologue that assured readers that the book was mostly her words, the things that she wrote while she was in hiding from the Nazis in a secret annex in that factory in Amsterdam. But now the Swiss foundation that holds the copyright to the diary of Anne Frank is alerting the publisher that 
Anne Frank's father was not only the editor, but also legally the co-author. Boy, why would they have any motivation to do this now, Rebecca? Well, here's why. Because the copyright is set to expire on January 1st in most of Europe, and changing the authorship of the book extends the copyright to the end of 2050. Yeah, Anne so Frank they get died another... 70 years ago at Bergen-Belsen, yes. the concentration camp, and European copyright law is death plus 70. Mm-hmm. Um, Otto Frank died, um, you know, 35 years later, essentially, uh, in 1980, so they get another 35 years. Yeah, so it's a creative loophole, it looks like. The copyright, the, or the foundation that holds the copyright to the book, um, you know, is claiming, of course, that they're just looking out to protect Anne's legacy, um, that that's their job, that we they should think carefully about the consequences of uh, letting the copyright expire or of extending it. Uh, and uh, But it looks to me like basically they're worried about what happens when they lose control of this copyright and it goes into public domain and anybody can do anything with it. In the U.S., we work on 95 years after the first yeah, so don't worry about us for um, a while. So it uh, will expire. Copyright here doesn't expire until 2047. Um, but very, it's it's just strange. Uh, it well, also, it's not I guess, strange. I mean, it's not. It's, it makes sense. I, I mean, like, I know what we know what they're doing. It's a weird, this was a weird story in the like, oh, I just never expected that would be a headline we would read well, this Well, and again, the pro, the Swiss Foundation is the Anne Frank Fonds, which is was founded by Otto Frank as a charitable foundation. Like if anyone's going to get the Anne Frank Money, I guess I'm, you know, I'm glad it's them. The part I don't like is they always said it was mostly her words when it was convenient then for that to be true. And now it's convenient for it to be true that he's a co-author, right? So which one of those, we're lying at one point here, right? right? We were withholding the truth earlier so that we could sell more books because if it's partially written by her father, then it's not as interesting, right? I mean, right. I, I think that's true. But now, well, of course he's a co-author, so I don't know. I, that, that duplicitous I don't like. Again, and who's going to get too upset about the Anne Frank Foundation keeping more of the proceeds? I'm really not, but I don't like the shell game, uh, to be honest. And is it what's protecting Anne Frank's legacy more? Saying now that her dad was a co-author or letting the mm-hmm. copyright expire 20 years earlier and people doing slash fiction. I mean, I don't even what what do we even worry? I mean, Shakespeare's in the public domain. Cervantes in the public domain. The Iliad's in the public domain. Sherlock Holmes, like, and none of their legacies have been tarnished, have they? I mean, I, no. I, I guess someone could make an Anne Frank TV show or movie without their approval. Okay, but I, I just don't. It's not going to get tarnished. If anything, being in the public domain helps Sherlock, helps Shakespeare, helps the Iliad, right? I think so. Uh, just because more people get to do stuff with it. Well, so whatever. This, the story is already established and beloved. Anne Frank's place in history is established and secure. Um, It would be frustrating, I'm sure, to be the people who run the foundation and to see, you know, like an Anne Frank TV show come out that they think doesn't serve her legacy very well. But this is like the Iliad and like Shakespeare. These are stories that are are so... Yeah, I think Anne Frank's in that category of like cultural Western stories at this point. Yes, it's like this is a piece of canon, essentially. It's almost universally beloved. There would be an outcry if there were a movie or a TV show. Anne Frank finding zombies or something? Right, or or if someone does an Anne Frank, like we've been seeing, you know, updates on Jane Eyre, updates on Pride and Prejudice. If someone did like an update on the Anne Frank story, that was disgusting. There would be a response to that that would not be financially beneficial right. to the person who created the disgusting thing. So I, I do think this is a case where like it's better for I, the story to become public domain. Public domain is important for a lot of reasons, but also the like the market will take care of itself. Yeah, I, again, again, it's, it's not like – I'm trying to think of an analog, you know uh, – F. Scott Fitzgerald, right? I think the copyright on Gatsby comes up next year or uh-huh. soon. If suddenly, like, you know what? Actually, uh, uh, Malcolm, uh, what's his name? Maxwell Perkins, his editor, mm-hmm. was a co-author, and he died forty years later. So now, uh, the great—I mean, that—that's a little bit different because the proceeds would go to some private entity, you know, the Perkins estate or something like the F. Scott Fitzgerald estate. Sure. This, you know, the money is going to the same place and probably better than someplace else, but. I don't like this idea that we're now to serve the copyright law. We're going to change the narrative of what we understood the authorship of the book to be. That's the where the money is. Is I don't care about that. Like well, they could keep it forever, as far as I'm concerned. But this idea that they just change it because it's convenient for them at the eleventh hour. 
um, it doesn't sit doesn't sit particularly yeah, well. Yeah, especially me. when the narrative about the authorship of the book is so central. So I mean, to that's the what book. The book. That's the story. Is. Uh, it's the, right. It, this the you sell the diary of Anne Frank on the story of a teenage girl writing these entries while she's hiding in the attic from Nazis. Right. If this is not her story, if her father actually the diary wrote a of Anne and Otto Frank, that's not right. right. This that's is not what it is. Fundamentally, that's a fundamentally different piece of work. Uh, that's a different frame in which to interpret the words that you find inside Anne Frank's. I diary. wonder if Otto Frank was a. I mean, if you could ask Otto Frank, like. Would he be all right with this? It doesn't seem like he'd want to do this. Like, I've read a little bit about him. Like, would he at the 11th hour to protect the copyright suddenly sort of, I don't know, intimate? Or that's not even intimate. It's explicit that he was the co-op. I mean, it doesn't seem mm-hmm. like, you know, you you might be throwing the baby out with the bathwater to protect the Anne, Le- Anne Frank legacy here. It'll be interesting to see if they backpedal. Yeah, I don't know. This. I don't know. Again, um I'm not too upset about like where the money is going, as I should say, but like this idea that we're sort of playing you know, a, a shell game with yeah, authorship it, in order to protect 20 more years of royalties. It makes me wonder if this has been done before or if this would I'm be the sure, first I'm thing sure that would has. establish a, some sort of precedent. If this is a precedent establisher, then I'm definitely going to be watching more closely about how this end run around authorship affects copyright standing. Uh, really yeah, really fascinating. Copyright law is so weird. Yeah, well, we talked about, and we we have another story about another found, the year mm-hmm. of found things continues. It truly is. Uh, unseen Charlotte Bronte story and poem discovered. Um, the short story features flogging and embezzling. You know, the Brontes, what? dark, dark, they're dark, they're a dark, they're a dark set of, of sisters. But I think we wondered last time, if anyone out there is a, knows anything about intellectual property or copyright, because uh, we don't know much except what we read about um, online, which, yeah, whatever. Um, you know, these are new works by people who are dead, they're published for the first time, does that affect copyright? Are these in the public domain, even though, you know, if they haven't appeared before? Interesting, interesting stuff. But the year continues. And someone, I think, for Bookwright is going to do a roundup of 2015, the year we found things. Yeah. You know, like all the, all the stuff we, we found this year. And I don't know. I feel we've been doing the show for a couple years, and we've been doing the site for four years. But I don't remember sort of a cluster of discovery yeah, no. quite like this. And we follow this This has been the closer. year of found stories, yeah. for sure. It's been... Man, so unex- so many so unexpected things. The Harper Lee one, you know, certainly oh, leading, yeah, that's, leading the way. That's the um, that's the that's the the hamburger and the French fries in that this particular. And meal. I guess we're getting pretty close to the end of the year where we'll get to find out numbers on our great Gosetto Watchman oh, yeah. gray gray bet. We will, and we have secret birdies out there that have um, book scan accounts. Uh, mm-hmm. If you if those birdies wanted to give us an update, that would not be unwelcome. Boy, that was a double negative within a double negative. <laughs> uh, okay, we're bouncing all around here. Yeah, so. we are. Let's just bounce over to Taylor Swift. Oh, yeah, tell me about this story. Taylor Swift donated 25,000 scholastic books to New York City schools this week. Um, they It was announced the donation was made to the Scholastic Possible Fund. Uh, these are age-appropriate books donated to the schools. 25 schools each get 1,000 new children's books through the Scholastic Possible Fund as a result of Taylor's support of the company's Open a World of Possible initiative, which was designed to promote independent reading among all children. Uh, so Taylor Swift, you know, is bookish. She talks about it on social media and on her Instagram account. Reading and writing have influenced her and have opened her world and and um, she was on a, an, a scholastic uh, webcast also, I think, in 2014, where she talked about how important books were to her. And you can watch that at scholastic.com slash Taylor Swift. But, She's um, been working with Scholastic for, it seems like, the last year yeah, or so, maybe, yeah, be doing events and readings and you know all kinds of stuff to promote reading. This is just a nice, happy hero of the week story. I've been trying to come up with a bunch of puns about, you know, <laughs> like, like she's got a blank shelf, baby. Oh, <laughs> no. Oh, no. Someone on uh, Elizabeth. We got Bad Blood um, Meridian. Um, yeah, yeah, right. Taylor Swift oh, oh. books. We could, <laughs> we, that's so a hashtag we could get to trend right now. Bad blood. <laughs> I heard on the radio once, uh, it was a mistake going over from NPR. Um, uh, you well, you could we'll just what, shake yeah, it off. We could sh- sh- <laughs> that one I do know. Shake it, shake, uh, shake it off the shelf. <laughs> um, and she also seems to be a legitimate book lover. Like she's a huge yes. John Green fan. You see her tweet about books from time to time. People send it to me. I, you know, I don't know. I think Taylor Swift is a legitimate, awesome. Person. Yes, I, she seems and that way. 
This is just a cool, happy, fun yeah. story. 25,000 books is not a joke. Not a joke at all. I will talk about celebrities putting their money where their mouths are and donating books to schools all the live long day. Yeah. Maybe Taylor Swift is the next James Patterson in, in donations to literary things. Uh, like instead of, you know, having Kanye come out as a surprise guest on tour, she'll have J.K. Rowling. Oh, so, uh, you know what? I bet I bet she would do it, and then uh, the internet would explode. Yeah, right. It really would. There'd be no, <laughs> don't know. There'd be like little pieces of internet, like all like all over the streets. Uh, it rains down. Like yeah, just, <laughs> man, it was nice while the internet. Yeah, lasted. it was great. It was the the internet turned out to be kind of an interesting thing. Um, oh, let's do some uh, let's do some TV adaptation news. I have another one yes. to do, but Amazon orders a pilot of a series. Uh, based on Meg Walter's The Interestings, which so has series written all over it, to it be honest. It so does. I'm so stoked. It's. I think this is what they call director contingent pilot pickup, oh. which I think means they will pick up the pilot as long as they like who the director yes. is. But Amazon's ordered the pilot of it. This book is so perfect. Yeah. for television rotating cast of narrators we see the characters as kids who meet at summer camp and then we see them as adults so i think it's going to have that now and then mm. feeling to it like there would have to be two sets you of ever actors. see that do you ever see that movie indian summer do you remember that yes, movie yeah. you know they're, they're they're a group of friends that from summer camp they come back because the camp's closing down and you get some stuff of them as kids of adults mm-hmm. kind of that's kind of what i'm imagining the the tone will be um, yeah. something like that. Really, there are lots of possibilities. I've been obsessed with the affair on Showtime, which also has rotating narrators. The first season mm-hmm. uh, just moves between two of them, and the second season that's currently airing moves between four characters, and we get their overlapping perspectives on the same events. I am here for the the interestings. Um, the other one I don't have in the show notes, so I'm kind of springing this on you is um, the the creator of the Fargo TV series has signed on to do a TV series of Vonnegut's Cat's Cradle. What? Um Option for TV by I Am, I Am Global Television. Um, let's see. The, like the, the only thing better would be the Farrelly brothers it, it, doing to it. To be written and executive produced by Fargo creator Noah Hawley. Um, that's all we know right now. Um, oh, I also saw, I don't think this is in the show notes, Kate Blanchett is in talks to maybe star in Where'd You Go Bernadette? What? Oh, that's, yeah, a, right? that's great casting. It's so interesting. It's so good. So I pictured good. her as like Julianne Moore. Oh, I'll really? Take Blan- I yeah, had Mary I'll take Louise Parker is kind of in my head for that <gasps> well, one. Well, Mary Louise Parker always always, always kind of in your head, really. With uh, that's with, true. With, uh, with her, so that's big news. Um, it's going to be for FX, mm-hmm. um, and it looks like this is a thing that it's not just optioned. I think this looks like it's going to happen. Uh, as a limited series, so that's good. You don't want I'm really indefinite in uh, cats cradling, but it will do some sort of, you know, probably eight to twelve episodes of Cats Cradle, um, which will be hard to make an adaptation yeah, of. But if you had asked, like, which books are going to be adapted for TV in 2015, I don't think Vonnegut would have ever entered my mind. Yeah, and even if you're doing Vonnegut, I don't know that you pick Cats Cradle necessarily. Anyway. Um, that's going to be interesting. Vonnegut also long said this was he thought his best success. He gave himself an A plus mm. for Cat's Cradle. Like he once, I think I posted a million years ago. He like graded each of his books after the fact, oh, right. and like how successful and what he wanted to do in Cat's Cradle. I think was the only one that got an A plus. Is my memory of it, but I'm sure you can find it out there on the interweb somewhere mm. if you are interested. We are doing another sponsor before we, we steamroll here. Then Audible, Audible.com is the largest provider of audiobooks, over 180,000 audio programs from the leading audiobook publishers, broadcasters, entertainers, entertainers, magazine, and newspaper publishers. That's one thing we haven't talked about too much. You can get a lot of like, if you're like a businessy kind of person, and I've been doing more and more of this, you know, or you need secondary, um, some people need accreditation to read certain articles or books, they can get um, continuing ed credit. You can do a lot of that stuff from through Audible. I was searching for, who was I searching for someone the other day, and a bunch of, uh, uh, of their New Yorker articles came up on Audible, which I thought was oh, interesting. Cool. So you could listen to um, columns and, and uh, articles there. Their app is free, works with iPhones, iPad, Android, and Windows Phone. Virtually, if you have a device that's not like run by Steam, probably Audible has a device it can play on. Unlike a streaming or rental service with Audible, you own your books. So you can access your books anytime, anywhere, right from your smartphone. So it's a subscription service. You sign up now, you get a free month, uh, three-month subscription. But even if you cancel the subscription, any book that you acquired through Audible, you can still listen to through Audible app. So it's not like, a, you know, it's not a rental where if you cancel a subscription, it's all gone. You get to use and access those files 
really for as long as Audible is around and, you know, before the heat death of the universe. Audible.com has a great listen guarantee. If you decide you don't like the book you chose, no worries. You can change any book you aren't happy with for another title, anytime, no questions asked. I've done this a couple times. Me too. I've got, I've got more feedback about this note. We started talking about it, you know, later into the Audible run with us, that this is a really nice feature that, you know, odd, narrators are important. Um, and sometimes there's one that just hits you the wrong way. And if you get 10 minutes into it or 30 minutes, you're like, you know, I can't do this. You can do it all online. You don't have to call anybody. You click a button and bam, the credits are immediately available. It's super awesome. Um, one great customer support thing they do there. Go to audiblepodcast.com slash book riot, and you can get your free 30 day trial for audible. So thanks to them for supporting the show. My most recent audible listen, um, was we don't need roads, um, a history of the making of the Back to the Future trilogy um, <laughs> by, let's see, what's the name of the, what's the name? Did your wheelhouse Oh, explode? it was great. It was great. Um, Kareen Hassin, let me see if I got this right. Uh, what's the name of this? Uh, Kassine Gaines. Kassine Gaines uh, is the author. Um, it's, it's pretty long and pretty in detail, but it walks you through the making of all three um, all three movies. You, you may not know that the second two, two and three were shot simultaneously sort of back to back um and they the their the code name for the uh the two sequel movies was paradox because there's two mm. doc browns um and also oh, you know cute. time paradox is going on there a lot of good juicies yeah Word it's not play. juicy but interviews with you know um uh, bob gale who is the screenwriter and uh robert zemeckis the directors and with the, the cast and crew a lot of stuff about stunts like one of the famous things that's people know about, if you know anything about the making of Back to the Future, is that Eric Stoltz was originally in Marty McFly. Mm -hmm. um, they did want, uh, I almost called him Michael P. Keaton, um, <laughs> <laughs> Alex P. Keaton, a.k.a. Michael J. Fox, that, that they have the same middle initial, that they both use middle initials, the character and the, the actor is always confused. Just too much. They wanted him originally, but the, the, uh, the uh, what was the name of the show he's on? It's not Growing Pains. He was on Family Ties. Family Ties, Family Ties, Growing Pains. I get them confused because they're basically the same title. The executive producers of that show didn't want him to to be in the movie because they didn't want him to lose focus and they didn't want him to be a huge movie star, so they didn't negotiate with him. So they blocked him being in Back to the Future. They went to Stoltz. Stoltz was fine, but he, apparently there was this moment in one of the read-throughs where Stoltz was like, you know, it, this movie's actually kind of sad. Oh. At the end, like, what do you mean? It's like, well, he goes back to his present life and, you know, his dad is happy and his mom is happy. But they know they now don't share any of the same memories with him. Like he doesn't remember growing up with that family. <sighs> and he's like, and it's kind of sad. And Leah Thompson, um, who plays his mom in the movie, said, said that that, ca that started to cast a pall over his portrayal of Marty McFly, mm -hmm. that he was more sort of sad and lonely and sort of melancholy, where, you know... Jay Fox, he's 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 a live wire man. Like he, he's so whimsical. He's so whimsical and fun and wide-eyed and up and you know kind of electric. But Stoltz kind of went. He he started thinking about the character a little bit differently. So they said it just isn't working. And anyway, there's some scenes they had to cut out. And that famous first scene where he goes in and there's like that Rube Goldberg machine to feed mm -hmm. Einstein the dog, and he sits down with the speaker and blows it out. That was all done as a way to have an opening sh scene. Um, with Michael J. Fox, so they'd cut this other stuff with Stoltz in school and with Doc Brown and everything that he couldn't use anymore. So anyway, that, that's a preview of the kind of stuff you get. I mean, it's not world that shattering, but if you like the trilogy, which I do, I, you know, one of the perfect mo you know popcorn movies in my opinion, especially the first one. Um, it's a good you know if you like movies, it's it's a it's a good listen. So I went into cool. that. Sorry about that. Yeah, no, that's all right. I just finished Scream, uh, Chilling Adventures in the Science of Fear by Margie Kerr oh, nice. on audio. Liberty talked about it on all the books, um, and it came out in October. She bas She's a sociologist who basically does the Mary Roach treatment to things that are scary. Ah. Um, and so she like hides in the walls in haunted houses to observe like what people look like when they get terrified. And then she goes on all these terrifying adventures some of them to things that are supposed to be psychologically scary like spending the night in an old prison that's allegedly haunted and some of them are more physical thrills like um climbing there's a what is the name the cn tower in toronto which is like 160 stories high mm -hmm. um they have a little walkway that loops around it that's a, like five feet wide and they'll harness you in and take you out on that little walkway 160 stories up to like hang over the edge and look at things mm. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, and she writes about the experience of that and why people like doing these terrifying things. What you know, what happens in our bodies when we're doing scary things, and also the social bonding of doing a terrifying thing with your friends. Uh, it's really fascinating. It's also given me like I was like Bob. We have to go back to Toronto. I have to go to the top of the CN Tower. <laughs> we have to go to this place because like I love this. I love to scare myself. So it's been fun for me to listen to the science of it and the sort of social function of doing scary things and to think about why people like doing that, why I like doing these things, but it's also just increased my personal to-do list of scary <laughs> stuff. <laughs> like bungee jumping in New Zealand will not be sufficient. <laughs> um, but that's great. That's it's good. called Scream. The book, if you buy it in print, the um, cover glows in the dark. Oh, really? Yeah, it's great. Oh, that's cool. Um, so that's that's all of ways saying audible.com. Go to uh, audiblepodcast.com slash bookwrite yes. to get started. Those are our picks for audiobooks. We've got stuff you can listen um, to. We don't have new books because it's the new book desert uh, time of year. But but we did find in this interesting subscription service for, for books. Uh, it's from Late Night Library. Uh, go to latenightlibrary.org. You'll find it there under the book club at the top navigation bar. But their their new um, it's been around a couple months. Their new subscription book service is nine ninety nine a month, and you get a new debut book every month. And they have a special emphasis on women and people of color. Um, so if you're looking to do some book discovery, you like subscription services, um, and you're up to have uh, you know new books put in front of you, especially from the, mm-hmm. the kinds of authors that are historically and presently underrepresented in, in, in traditional publishing, this might be for you. A very interesting idea. Yeah, it is interesting. If you want a little bit more of a fancy option, we also have some of those services through Book Riot. Oh, we do too, um, and, yeah. And I'm going to plug those because our subscription period is just about to close in a couple of weeks for the final quarterly box of 2015. Uh, for 50 bucks a quarter, we will send you a box of awesome books that we love uh, that might be under your radar, but that we think our readers and listeners will love as well, along with bookish stuff. Uh, a lot of times there's something exclusively created for the quarterly box. We get the authors involved. Um, so the next box ships on December 4th. You can go to um, bookriot.com slash quarterly to get info and to sign up. The theme of the December box is Great New Voices of 2015. Um, and we also, as you know, care about highlighting uh, people of color and traditionally marginalized, marginalized voices. So you can consider that. Um, also in the Book Riot store, by the time you listen to this, we will have live and available a box of some of our favorite books of 2015. Oh, good. I wasn't sure if that was. I was. I was. Yes. Gonna, I was hoping to mention that, but I wasn't sure if it was live, and I forgot. To it ask. will be live by the time the show goes live. Um, for a hundred bucks, you get four of our favorite books of the year, plus a handful of bookish items that we've created for you. Um, those are great picks from throughout uh, the Book Riot community. I talked to our contributors and looked at what they were into. Um, it's a really great box of stuff. So that'll be at store.bookriot.com. You can subscribe for quarterly at bookriot.com/quarterly or check out latenightlibrary.org. Um, which looks awesome as well. I think that's our show. It is indeed. That's our it's show. a full lid. Um, I, we'll, we'll have an episode next week. We haven't talked about when we're going to record it because a week from today is uh, Thanksgiving. But oh, right. We gotta, maybe, I guess Wednesday morning. We'll, we'll do it. We'll so figure it out. Maybe we'll have something available for your, rather than Monday. We'll see. I have no promises, but maybe we'll have something available for over the, the Thanksgiving weekend, at least by Friday or Saturday, as you're cooped up with family and you have a trip to fan coma, which isn't a real thing, apparently. I learned that recently that tryptophan in turkey isn't what makes you tired it's just basically overeating it's just food. yeah yep. it's just food and um, family uh, discord um so as always you can find show notes for this and every other episode of the book Riot podcast at bookwrite.com slash podcast you can send us an email with feedbacks questions comments i guess we're especially looking for book recommendation requests uh for yep. next um a couple weeks from now also if you know anything about copyright i'd sure like to know that um, podcast at bookwrite.com feedback for this or any of the other shows questions comments for us um you can follow us on Twitter. I'm at the Jeff O'Neill, O-N-E-A-L. She's at Rebecca Shinsky, S-C-H-I-N-S-K-Y. And until next time, that's our show. That's our show. Have a good week. <laughs>